I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. This is a post-game edition. We're doing something a little bit different this time around, sticking around in Beaver Stadium into the evening and recording here instead of heading home and recording uh, at our respective places, me and Daniel. Uh, before we hit the road here, we've got a lot to discuss because Penn State got to 7-1, and one, as we both predicted, but the method in which they reached that record was certainly a lot different, and it resulted in a 33-24 Penn State victory, but this was a matchup that was t- Tied in the final two minutes. I predicted a 38 to nothing Penn State shutout win. I was way wrong. Las Vegas was way wrong. And this was exactly the kind of hangover situation that we thought Penn State might find itself win in. But even worse than that, because they were at risk of losing to the Indiana Hoosiers today in Beaver Stadium. And Indiana was 2-20 and in Big Ten matchups since 2021. I took it on the chin last week with how wrong I was about Penn State, uh, you know, going to Ohio State and losing in that fashion. And uh, it's a little bit of a happy, happier ending for Penn State fans this week. But uh, once again, very wrong about the way this game was going to go. I had Penn State winning 48 to 10. Uh, you know, my bold prediction, I had that Daquan Hardy pick six, and I was close on that punt return, uh, you know, a couple degrees of separation uh, away there. But I think that we just saw a very sluggish Penn State performance. Um, a lot of the problems that we'd seen these past couple of weeks pop up again. And I think that they were very, very fortunate to escape with a win. You know, we've talked about you don't want to lose to Ohio State twice. And that's definitely what almost happened today. But you look at it right now from where we stand on paper, seven and one, four and one in the Big Ten. You've got four games left this year. We know which one of those is the biggest, but you still have an opportunity ahead of you. Yeah, so just to quickly review why we felt the way we did about the Indiana-Penn State matchup a, a bit. Now, Indiana had, I just mentioned, 2-20 two, two since 2021 in conference action, but thus far in the season, 
Uh, closer than expected week one against Ohio State, 23-3 loss. But there are other Big Ten matchups leading into this one. A 44-17 defeat at Maryland, a 52-7 loss at Michigan. And then last week at home, a 31-14 loss to Rutgers. And um, we got a lot of directions we can go in here, but I thought it'd be best to start with how this one finished. Uh, again, Penn State, they trailed 14-7 deep into the first half. This was a tie game, 24-24, with under three minutes left. But let's go a little bit before that to go to Drew Aller's first career interception. It ended the NCAA record-setting streak to start a career without an interception. It spanned, uh, what, uh, going through the math here, 17 games without it, without that turnover. Finally showed up in the one of the worst possible situations. Backed up, third down. Uh, I would say pretty clearly the worst decision, the worst throw that we've seen from Drew Aller in a Penn State uniform, and it ends up gift-wrapping a possession to uh, uh, to Indiana just outside the red zone with a few minutes left here and a, a three-point deficit. And I mean, Tom Allen took a knee on it and, and did not do much with the opportunity, but we wondered when that first – you know, first mistake would happen for Drow, the first mistake that leads to the other team taking the football. And here it was, and Beaver Stadium just, like, shut down in that moment. I think everyone was bracing for for a potential uh, heartbreaking scenario to play out here. It, it's funny, uh, you know, listening back to Drew Aller talk about that interception after the game, and he said that he didn't realize that uh, he was intercepted initially. Um, obviously, he couldn't see <laughs> where the ball went, which is part of the problem because he was under duress um, and just kind of launched it over the middle. But he said that on these interceptions, you usually hear a big reaction from the crowd, and uh, he didn't hear that. So he didn't really realize until he was going over to the sideline and saw the defense coming out instead of the punt unit uh, that he had been picked off. Um, I think that that kind of speaks to what you had talked about, Tyler, with how deflating of a moment that was. I think with where we were in the game, that's not that's not a move that gets met with boos or a, a huge reaction or the crowd feeling that okay it needs to pick up the defense now. You know, with the way that that game was going, that felt like you know if that felt like it could be a backbreaker. Um, and I think that Penn State and Drew Aller is really really fortunate that Indiana went so conservative, three straight runs, including one on third and seven, you know, settling for a thirty-five yard field goal. You give the ball back to Penn State with three minutes left. And on the one hand, I get it because the Penn State offense had not been doing much. Um, but, you know, playing for overtime, that's just that's no way to live, first of all. But, you know, you're Indiana. You know, you're Tom Allen. You're on the hot seat. You, know, you need to do anything you can to get a win. Uh, and I think for uh, for Indiana to really turtle up right there, um, you know, when, when Penn State got the ball back, I was kind of like, this is going to backfire. I can really see this backfiring. Um, and that's, that's ultimately what happened in, in the game flow. Yeah. I mean, so Indiana has that opportunity, a golden moment. They're content to take three uh, rush attempts and, and get the field goal opportunity, which they converted a 35 yarder. That made it 24 to 24. At that point, we're under three minutes to go in this matchup. Penn state gets the ball. And after the matchup now, we've had some chances to check in with Drew Aller and some different players on this team. And uh, after the interception, you know, we were all wondering what would it look like? He had some time to go to the sideline, think about it, regroup. You wrote a story uh, with a lot of different voices uh, about Drew Aller. I know that you've got some more to put out at lines247.com on this subject. But 
from everything we gathered in post game, what does it sound like those few minutes were like in between Drew Aller's first interception and when he resurfaces on the field, needing to lead Penn State two points if they're going to avoid overtime? It, it sounded like the players on both sides of the ball had all the confidence in the world uh, that that Drew Aller was going to get the job done. Uh, Theo Johnson, the tight end and team captain, uh, told us that he told Drew Aller, quote, you're the best in the country and don't forget it. That doesn't define you. And going out, Theo, Theo Johnson said that he felt that Penn State was going to make the big play. Katron Allen said that he told Drew Aller in the huddle, uh, let's go win it. Um, before kind of <laughs> he got pressed on a follow-up uh, about that and said that it was more, well, we got your back, Drew. Uh, but it just sounds like that players on both sides of the ball, you had quotes from KJ Winston and Denai Dennis Sutton. Um, you know, talked to Nick Singleton, Khalil Dinkins, Theo Johnson, uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith. Uh, they just had all the trust in the world in Drew Aller that he was going to get this done, that he was going to find a way to to bring Penn State to a victory. And I think to hear that, especially after what we saw last week uh, in Columbus, I think that that shows the, the trust that the team has in Drew Aller, his standing on the team, um, and kind of, you know, where where everyone's head is at. Because from where we sit, things have looked, you know, pretty bad. You know, it's been, you know, painful to watch at times. I think that, you know, the players have acknowledged some frustrations. Um, but, you know, in that kind of insular bubble of the Lash building, of the Beaver Stadium sideline that, you know, they are behind their quarterback. They trust him. Um, one thing that came up a couple times with Keandre Lambert-Smith and Theo Johnson when talking about that touchdown pass is that, that they've seen that in practice so many times. Um, and we hear from the defensive players, too, that they know what Drew Aller looks like during the week. You know, they've seen what, what he's done on some Saturdays, and that is another thing that gives them so much trust and faith in him to get the job done. Yeah, KJ Winston said, look, they get very competitive. They consider themselves a great defense, an elite defense. We didn't really see that today against Indiana, which is the first time we didn't see that kind of a defensive performance from the Nittany Lions in a while. But going back to this point, on the practice field, they feel like they have given Drew Aller a lot to work with and deal with going back to spring ball on his freshman year and, of course, preseason camp. Um, and they came away convinced that he could deliver this kind of moment because they've had, uh, you know, where it's kind of generated by the staff or, or, or where you got pressure cooker moments in practice. And I understand that, but I still wondered for myself, you know, would the teammates, would everybody really believe that Drew could do this until he went out and did it? There's only one way to do it. Let the ball go and trust your receiver to make a play. And he did that. A 57-yard touchdown pass to, to Keandre Lambert-Smith. He was actually three of three on that final possession for 78 yards, I think it was. And when you look at Drew Aller over the course of, of that final possession, the response was great. We got, we, he's going against Indiana. He's in front of a, a friendly home crowd here. But there's a lot of psychological stuff in, in play. We talked about it coming out of the Ohio State game. Where would Drew Aller be you know, through this practice week as the guy that, you know, can teammates look to him and turn to him? And is he going to take this step forward? And you get to the point deep in this matchup. He had thrown a couple touchdowns. But that interception was really glaring. And then you wonder, you know, if Indiana can take this one in overtime, that's really going to be you know, put a precarious situation for Penn State. I think with Drew Aller, the ability to come back and look steady in that moment says a lot about him. It says a lot about this team moving, I don't know if it necessarily means about the team moving forward, but I think a lot about the confidence internally about things. So they're going to tell us they believe in Drew. They're going to tell us that in the summer. They're going to tell us that in the spring. They're going to tell us that through the first few games. But I think seeing him do this in a moment where, you know, it was 
truly gut check time. You could feel the narrative around this entire 2023 squad changing in front of your eyes if, if, if things turned to disaster here against the Hoosiers. And not only was Drew Aller able to, to find the confidence within himself, but he's able to let it fly and, and, and believe in Keandre Lambert-Smith to come down and make that play. And maybe that's a part of this game, this passing attack generally that we, we haven't seen uh, in Drew Aller just letting it rip. And maybe it got to the point where you had to, but it was a first and 10 situation. They dialed it up, a deep shot. Uh, what did you make of the confidence to make that kind of throw and then the connection with Keandre Lambert-Smith to be the guy who gets it done? We, we talked about it uh, these, these past couple of weeks where, and even coming into the season, where we knew there was going to come a game when you needed Drew Aller to win it for you with his arm. Uh, we thought that might be last week in Columbus. Uh, and he couldn't quite get that done. But today was a really prime scenario to see that happen. <clears throat> and, yeah, I just think that it is probably very huge for the confidence of this team and the confidence of Drew Aller you know, to win a game like this with the big throw, you know, with that sort of big, big play in that spot. Um, but uh, it was just a very, very, I think, pretty play. When, when you talk about having that big-armed five-star quarterback back there who can make all the throws that's kind of what you envision uh, in a way you know just throwing it up along the sideline Andre Lambert Smith actually lost it for a second and then found it again uh, to haul it in you know he did the tightrope down the sideline to get into the end zone it was just a very very pretty play uh, and a very pretty throw by Drew Aller and you know he had a couple of those I think that is he just throws such a pretty deep ball he, you know, he can put touch on it he can laser it in there you know, he can get the ball downfield, you know, to his receiver and hit them in the hands. But I think that that play in that spot was very, very big. And I think that it showed you know, Drew Aller's willingness to trust his arm right there, which is something that maybe we haven't seen, but they were in a spot where he needed to do that. They didn't have time to go 12 plays to get down there and, and punch it in on a, on a two yard run out of the T formation. They needed to score and they did it quickly. Yeah, let me correct myself. I said he was three for three on that final drive. Uh, the second play of that drive was actually a 10-yard run for Catron Allen, who really came on as the game advanced. Uh, Allen, on the previous play to that, had an 11-yard reception on, on the first play of that possession. So kind of steadied them, and then, boom, going for that long shot. They connect. Uh, look, we've heard so much, and, we, and we've actually seen it. Quite a bit. We've seen it against air on the practice field, but there's only so many times you can hear about Drew throwing these bombs in practice and, and how pretty it looks until you can – Start to wonder if you're going to ever see it for yourself and, and can you see a flash with consistency. And the consistency part is still to come, but the fact that you got some fireworks here when they needed it, it speaks volumes, I think, about where Drew is with his potential. And let's face it, 19 touchdowns, one interception on the season now through eight career starts. And it was an ugly situation for this offense in Ohio State. We've got a lot of questions still about this passing attack, especially if Harrison Wallace is going to be out an extended period of time. We'll address that in a moment. Uh, but at the end of the deal here, after a long, arduous eight-day span, when we go back to Columbus, Drew Aller comes out the other side of this. And you'd imagine there's at least an opportunity for a reset, if not for him to hit the ground running further ahead of where he was than when they went on to the road to Ohio State. And to me, that is huge in this game because you talk about the psychological uh, you know, psychological development of your sophomore quarterback, a guy that we think Penn State's going to be counting on you know, for the next season and a half at least to be the man out in front for their goals. So to see this you know, in a pressure hooker spot, I loved it. I loved it. And I, I mean, 
you got to imagine that that they're going to come back on Sunday in the team facilities. And whether they want to tell us it or not, that finish provided some serious, I guess, it, it pushed them away from some self-doubt. It, it pushed them away from some self-doubt. And I think as long as you can kind of shut the door on self-doubt right now for your own quarterback and for this team, you're going to give yourself a shot because that is what I think ultimately leads to these stringing games of hangover effects, internal self-doubt. And and right now, uh, I think they were able to maybe exercise some of that in the final few minutes, especially on offense. These last eight days, these last this last week was, I think, probably pretty trying at times for Drew Aller and for Penn State. We saw how that game at Ohio State ended. We heard what Drew Aller was saying. We saw how much that loss hurt him. Um, and we know how hard it was for the team as a whole, especially given how that defense played. And to see how the team came out today where the defense is getting gashed, the offense isn't doing anything, nothing's really going right. And to see Penn State move its way through that and navigate that way to the end, I think is, is really big. The key now becomes spinning this forward. Uh, you know, you finally beaten the adversity uh, I think that this is something that can really help the team moving forward. I, I still maintain what we were saying going into that Ohio State game, that it was perfectly fine that that team had not been tested and that you would much rather have that than having, you know, get, getting Indiana or not Indiana, getting Northwestern or Illinois really pushing you to the wire. But I think that having these experiences, especially with this Michigan game looming in two weeks, I think is good. The real key, though, is to spin things forward to next week to be able to actually build off this and not just talk about it. I think that we coming in this Indiana game, I definitely called it the softest landing that Penn State could have coming off that Ohio State game with what Indiana was, how they'd been playing. And now you look at how this game ended and now you're looking at Maryland next week. They've lost three straight games. People that have covered people that are covering the team are calling it a free fall, pretty much with with where they are right now. And so you think, okay, you close this game against Indiana in this fashion, and then you get to go to a place where you've been able to win before, and that you're going to have a pretty significant fan base be able to to travel with you against a team that is reeling. In your head, it's like, okay, you, we can we can start to to make this move, but this Penn State team hasn't shown us that they can really do that yet. So I, I think that it's kind of it's hard not to get too far ahead of yourself coming off of this game. And I think that that's something from our perspective that there's still some, I think, dissection of what we saw today to really go through right. and figure out what this will look like moving forward. But I think the end result, getting away with getting out of here with a win the way that they won at the end, I think that there's a lot of positives and even some of the negatives like looking at the defense, I think are anomalous. So I think that things are in a good spot right now. Life, life is good at seven and one. But the big thing that I want to see, what does the passing game look like after Drew Aller hits this one? Does the confidence there really travel to College Park next week? Yeah, and does the con I mean, does the confidence in general, is this a real thing? Do we see a team find something here in the last few minutes? Or did we see a team avoid embarrassment, you know, against against a bad Indiana team? And maybe they're just kicking the can down the road because if they keep, you know, if you see this string into the next week on the road or against Michigan, the results will not be as pretty. 
But end of the day, yeah, seven and one. And then let's let's focus really quickly on the, how they finished this and sealed the deal. It was on a 25-yard loss of uh, to a safety um, on a strip sack for denied Dennis Sutton, which ends up in the hands of a few defenders. Akeem Beeman, I would say, probably had the best shot to, to pick that ball up and get to the end zone for a defensive touchdown. But it ends up being a kind of a ping-pong situation, bouncing all over the place, rolls out the back of the end zone 35 yards later and Penn State comes up with two points it's 33 to 24 that seals the game uh tonight that sudden talked about it after the game with without Chop Robinson on the field he felt like you know there was more responsibility on his shoulders that play to him make, makes him feel like he he made his brother proud um you know a cool little part of the story there but I think generally this defense against Brendan Soresby you know the, the guy that not people lot have probably heard of you know he threw for more yards in this first half against Penn State uh, than any Indiana quarterback had had in an entire game for about five weeks. And they get to the finish line here. They, they put the finishing touches on Soresby, and you just get the sense that this defense knows they may have gotten away with one today. They know that that they, they, they had some spots. They had some lapses. James Franklin talked about blown coverages. They gave up three touchdowns, and none of those touchdowns required Indiana to, to reach the red zone. And this is not an explosive Hoosiers defense or explosive Hoosiers offense. And uh, so it was a kind of a overall the, the probably the most underwhelming or frustrating defensive effort that we've seen from Penn State probably since last October. But they also finished the right way. Um, and and again, I, I, I just don't get the sense that this will fester for them like we've been worried about things festering for the offense. You look at that safety and I think maybe next time we're at practice, we're going to see Manny Diaz putting those linemen through the the scoop drill that, that we saw, I think, pretty early after Diaz got here. Um, but, yeah, I, I think looking at how this defense played, kind of like I, I just mentioned, I think that a lot of what we saw today were anomalies. I think that, you, that there are things that were kind of isolated incidents and things that you can look at and immediately be like, this, this is the cause, this is the effect, this is why it was a 90-yard touchdown. This is why Indiana had a 69-yard touchdown. I do think that the one touchdown drive early in the fourth quarter that made it a 24-21 game, I do think that's one you have to look a little bit closer at. That was a 12-play, I think, 75- or 80-yard drive. Indiana made it look really easy. And then that touchdown was another one of these weird no-man's-land, you know, tough coverage plays. Um, so I think that this defense, I, I think that what we saw in the first – seven games is more indicative of what it was than what it was today. I think that that's more of their identity, who they are. At the same time, looking forward, you've got a Maryland team with Talia Tungavailoa and a couple dangerous wide receivers that, that can toss it around. So I'm sure that those missed assignments and blown coverages will be looked at very closely in film. But I, I think that it was one of those things where the, the mistakes were almost too obvious uh, that – when moving forward and, and dissecting this game from the defensive perspective, I, I don't think it's things that we're going to continue to see uh, as opposed to some of the conversations we've been having about the offense. Indiana had uh, the first two possessions of the second half, 14 plays, 56 yards. That was a missed field goal. And then a 12 play 80 yard drive that resulted in their third touchdown. Prior to that, it was a one play 69 yard uh, possession and a one play 90 yard possession. And that, that's what, what got Penn State in a bit of a hole there in the first half. And uh, Daniel, when we, when we review things in, in, in this game, the other part of the hole in the first half was just a slow start on offense. 
Uh, three straight punts to open this one, I believe it was. Uh, yeah, three straight punts. They get 19 yards in the first possession, eight yards on the second possession. They lose four yards on the third possession before finding the end zone on drive number four. But you've got that sleepy kind of start that we all figured was potentially looming for Penn State offensively. But then you look at the third quarter stats at halftime. They're four of 12, and you apply that to what we saw last week, and then you're on a run of, what, uh, five of, of 18 from third down in a six-quarter stretch. And you've got Drew Aller looking largely uncomfortable. I think he was 10 of 15 at one point before their first uh, before their first touchdown drive. Uh, or after that first touchdown drive, but only 61 yards. Everything he was doing, they were working so hard to get, you know, a four or five-yard pass. They had two drops on third downs, one by Keandre Lambert-Smith, which obviously he made up for later on in the day, and then one by Harrison Wallace that brought out the punt team. That one was a little bit more well-defended. Keandre Lambert-Smith was straight-up drop, but Harrison Wallace on that drop was also injured, and we saw him return to the sideline in a sling, so he was out for the rest of the way, and he's been – uh, the unquestioned starter when available and healthy opposite of Keandre Lambert Smith. He played more snaps than anyone on offense aside from those starting offensive linemen and Drew Aller. So he was out there involved as much as any skill player against Ohio State. This time doesn't make it deep into the game. And you have to wonder how long it might be until we see Harrison Wallace again. We'll talk about what else transpired at wide receiver next. But this is the guy that we spent a ton of time saying clearly James Franklin and company see something here. They want to give him every opportunity in the world to be a starter and to flourish in this offense. Hasn't really come to fruition. He had a bit of a hot start with, with 10 catches through two games. But now we're kind of, I guess, putting him to the side. When you see a guy show up on a sling and it's late October and we're running out of time for this offense to figure it out, that doesn't get any easier with Trey Wallace dealing with whatever he's dealing with. Yeah, the challenges are going to keep coming for this wide receiver room. Uh, and guys are going to need to step up. Uh, we thought we were talking about it before where they need to kind of figure out the identity of this room, who the guys are that can contribute. And that kind of doubles down now. Um, but I think that losing Trey Wallace is, is a big blow for this offense. Uh, even if we didn't necessarily, even if we weren't necessarily seeing production, we've heard so much about how about Drew Aller's trust in Harrison Wallace. I think that there is definitely a lot, a big level of comfort there. And anytime you remove a, a security blanket or, or something like that, it does change the equation a little bit. Even before Harrison Wallace went out, we were, we were seeing a ton of two tight end sets from Penn State with Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson. And that continued, I think, into the game. It's going to be really interesting to see the snap counts even after Trey Wallace went out. Um, so it it puts Penn State into a, into a tough spot, but... It is kind of like what we talked about on Thursday in the, in the preview pod where we weren't seeing the production. So when you take him off the field, then there's just no production in general outside of Keandre Lambert-Smith. So you know when you subtract there, it doesn't particularly change things. So I'm really curious to see what this actually looks like. Oh, uh, we'll hear from James Franklin on Tuesday. Maybe we'll get an update on Harrison Wallace and, and what his outlook is then, but it, it does change things a little bit. You're removing someone who has trust with Drew Aller. The play that he got hurt on was a third down. That was something that we talked about from that West Virginia game where Drew Aller was looking to Harrison Wallace in those on those kind of money downs. He was looking for him again there uh, along the sideline and, and Wallace couldn't haul in the pass and got hurt. Uh, but Puts the, puts the wide receivers in the spotlight again. We talk about finally seeing an explosive play, but 
it doesn't necessarily answer a lot of the questions that we had about this offense coming into Saturday. Yeah, obviously, Keandre Lambert-Smith put his stamp on this game with the game-winning touchdown, six catches for 96 yards, and that score. Before that, though, I mean, you think about what his day looked like. He was under 40 yards receiving on the day on eight targets, and no other receiver had more than two catches. In fact, the only other receiver who had a reception was Dante Cephas, two catches for 15 yards on the day on five targets. So on that heading into that last possession, Daniel, you had Cephas with two catches for 15 yards. You had Lambert Smith with five catches for about 38 yards. That was it for the entire wide receiver room. And, and you, you can kind of erase that narrative and, 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 and rewrite it a little bit because of what Keandre Lambert Smith was able to do. But it doesn't erase the fact that Dante Cephas here got a lot of run. We didn't see a lot of production again. That's kind of been the theme when he's had some opportunities here. Malik McLean showed up and played a lot of football on the perimeter uh, with, with Harrison Wallace out. But I'm not sure he got a target. And and if he did not get it, he doesn't have an official target here in the stat sheet. And if he did not, then that means his last target is September 16th. He, uh, at there's, Illinois. there's the one the one deep ball uh, up the left side. I think that was Penn State's really only other big deep That's shot right. uh, yeah. b- before and, the last one. Yeah. Um, so not in the official stat sheet, but there you go. So, so McLean was, uh, did finally get a target, uh, but really that's it. I mean, it's, it's, it's not so much about the targets as it is about the catches. Right. And, and we're just not seeing this group come up with them. Uh, Amari Evans, uh, didn't see him show up in a significant way here. I'll have to get, again, look at the snap count, see who was involved. It's hard to tell all in real time, but if you wanted to look for some shuffling here, Dante Cephas was announced as a starter before the game here in Beaver stadium. Uh, they still went with the two tight end set, but we did see Cephas involved early and we saw him involved more often, uh, but still still more answer, questions than solutions, I think, coming out of, of another matchup for this receiver group, especially when you pile onto that, that you may be missing Trey Wallace here for, for a little bit of time. Uh, I thought the offensive line um, allowed some glaring pressure moments, you know, some, some spots where it seemed to be some miscommunication perhaps. Um, you, know, on, you know, basically free rushers getting to Drew Aller. It's not something that we've seen much this season. Uh, they were also dealing with some some depth issues. Caden Wallace left early. I think it was after the third possession of the matchup. Seemed to be in some physical discomfort. He did not return. And then Vega Ioane later on in the game, Daniel, you noted that he appeared to be dealing with something. Uh, went to the sideline. It was J.B. Nelson and Salim Wormley at the guard spots down the stretch of this game. So three starters at the end of the day, you know, left and did not come back but focusing on the offensive line here daniel um look the, the ground game numbers have not been what we thought it was a little bit frantic today in the pocket at times for drew aller two-thirds of the way through this season um you know the offensive line certainly carries its share of the conversation about why doesn't this offense look like we all thought it might offensive line play is, is so tough to evaluate i think sure and but but the one thing that that stands out to me is is the fact that the results in the running game and seeing Drew Aller under some of this pressure. I mean, it's you know, in in no way is it like we saw in in 2021. I don't think this is still this unit has still massively improved. But and I think that last year it really showed what it was capable of doing as well. Especially when you consider that down the stretch last year they were just holding it together with scotch tape and glue with the number of guys who were out and the way they were shuffling things. And they had a true freshman starting at left tackle down the stretch. But I, I think this year's offensive line, I, I think that a lot of the the miscues has, has been in kind of those, you know, where they have to work together. I think that the, the chemistry yeah. 
for for whatever reason when they're going against some games and stunts, uh, things like that, especially on the interior, it doesn't quite come together. Um, and someone smarter than me can probably diagnose it, but it is something that I think stands out a little bit more uh, than we thought thought it would. I mean, the one play that I think both of us are, are thinking about was when you know Indiana basically had two rushers co- coming free up the middle uh, because someone just ran right by Hunter Norzad uh, in the fir- early in the game. Penn State had a third and two that they went for out of the tee. And a linebacker was just able to get in, get in right behind the two blockers who were who were leading Nick Singleton. It's it's little things like that that show up can short circuit a drive and, and really put you in a tough situation. We'll be right back on the Lions twenty four seven podcast. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's worth noting here is the running backs, I thought they had a pretty good day. I mean, we're talking about, you know, still kind of, 
searching for answers here in different parts of the offense, except for that late spark. But I felt like overall, even before that final possession, and I mentioned Katron Allen was key there, but Nick Singleton, Katron Allen, their touches were helping keep this offensive float. I, I think it was a bit of a rough start for Nick Singleton. Mark mentioned maybe 18 yards or so on the first eight or nine touches for Singleton. But he was an effective receiver. We're talking about the looking for answers. And, and when Drew Aller is going downfield, Singleton had five catches, 31 yards. Uh, four of them were pretty short, and, and a couple of them lost yards. But his 28-yard gainer was a huge play, the, the kind of play that, that this passing game has been lacking so much. And now Nick Singleton is, is actually 19 receptions on the season. That ranks third among all Nittany Lions. It only trails Theo Johnson and Keandre Lambert-Smith. I think he had 11 catches last year. He talked about it in postgame just about how much he stressed this and emphasized it during the offseason. And now that he's been able to go out there, we haven't seen him, you know, bust a major plays. This was probably the biggest one we've seen uh, through the passing game. But it's been notable to kind of counteract a, a little bit less of, of productivity, a lot less productivity as a runner. But he did get to 50 yards on 15 carries today, along with seven. You know, that's not going to wow anybody. We're not seeing those typical Nick Singleton rushing stat lines by any means. But I thought today – uh, he gutted it out a little bit by by contributing as a runner. He had a, he had a, a pretty solid blitz pickup at one point too that I noted. And then Katron Allen, 18 carries, 81 yards. Not a long, you know, the 12 was his longest, uh, but he had a couple of key catches, including that 10 yard, 11 yard gain on the final possession. Uh, again, I just think even though these guys haven't looked like the superstar, you know, takeover game duo that we thought. I thought they they kind of kept the Nittany Lions afloat while they had pieces, you know, losing uh, losing pieces on the offensive line, losing pieces on the wide receiver, having drops. Uh, I thought this group did a pretty good job, this tandem, of just giving something that, that they could count on it, because it felt like they couldn't count on a lot during the course of this matchup. I think some of it just goes back to volume. Last week at Ohio State, they combined for 20 touches offensively. Today they had 40. Katron Allen mm -hmm. doubled the number of carries that he had from last week to this week. And we talked about him as a running back who can get better as the game goes on. As you wear down an opposing um, an opposing defense, he's someone who can find his way. And that first drive after halftime, he had close to 40 yards as Penn State went, went down the field. So I, I think that we saw Penn State feed those two backs. That was something that coming out of Ohio State – we talked about as something in the offensive game plan that left a little bit to be desired given how good both of those players can be. And I think that we saw some, we saw some sparks from Nick Singleton. He had that 28 yard uh, gain uh, through the air. I thought that was a really, really nice play by Drew Aller in terms of rolling, finding Nick Singleton uh, over the middle and hitting him for an, an explosive gain. Um, and then Nick Singleton had a 50 yard kickoff return. Uh, that was something else, too, that we hadn't really seen from him yet this year. Uh, we talked about Daquan Hardy in the punt return game, but Singleton and Potts and Allen hadn't quite broken anything or done anything too impressive on kick returns. And after Nick Singleton did that, Indiana never kicked to him again. So, so it was something that they definitely took note of and another way that he was able to affect the game. So I... I'm not going to say that he's due anymore because that was getting me in trouble uh, the, these past couple of weeks with some predictions. But I think that we saw some positives from this running game, from the way that Singleton and Allen were running, but also from the way that they were being used and that, you know, how Penn State was trying to get them involved. I think that on a couple of those catches by Singleton, Drew Aller put him in some tough spots. I think that he lost five yards on one play where 
Aller checked it down and threw it out wide with the linebacker in Singleton's lap, essentially. Um, but it does show that they're still cognizant of these two players. They want to get them the ball. And I think both of them showed that if Penn State needs them to make a play or help swing a game, they can do that. They were able to help Penn State go four of four in the red zone, 35 minutes of, of possession, which is obviously a 10-minute advantage over Indiana in the course of this game. But let's be real. Uh, even when you adjust and, and get rid of the sack numbers for their rushing totals, they're at 3.9 yards per carry against the Big Ten's basement dweller. And this is the third time now that Penn State has faced the conference's worst rush defense in that given week. And they continue to come up well shy of the average that that team is allowing. So while I'm, I wanted to make sure we, we you know, talked about Catron Allen and the impact he was able to make, same with Nick Singleton, you're still not getting anywhere close to the kind of fireworks, especially in a setting like this against a defense that appears right for the picking. Now, does Drew Aller throwing that bomb late change things? Does that change the way the defense is approaching? I mean, so much of what we talked about is you know, the next side of this equation is, well, how do you unlock the run game? It's by you know opening things up with your pass attack. So something to look forward to in, in the last third of this season, starting with Maryland, is, is what can what can this offense you know find a way to recalibrate? It's kind of weird to hear uh, an offensive uh, a team being at such kind of a identity crisis at seven and one on, on the side of the football, but that's really where Penn state is. I, I don't necessarily think they're out of that crisis because of what they did today, because of what they won. I think they avoided a, a major spiral situation. Uh, but now I think they've got a busy week ahead uh, because it's just, doesn't it feel like something's just missing? Doesn't it feel like considering all the talent that's on the field and all the experiences on the field, they're not adding anybody and, and trying out these guys, most of them, except for like Dante Sivas and Malik McClain, they all played football last year, a bunch of it for the same offensive coordinator. And it's just feeling like week by week by week, it's tough. Um, you know, maybe it didn't look so tough against West Virginia or Delaware or UMass, but now that we're starting to settle in and trying to say, here's what Penn State is in 2023, when I close my eyes and say, what does the offense look like? Last year, I was thinking of Nick Singleton running by every Auburn defender now I'm thinking about third and two because that's where Penn State always seems to be. They don't pick up first downs on first down or second down. It's just third and two, maybe fourth and two, and just grinding it out. Yeah, it's it it is just such a, a grinded out offense, and it's just not it's not aesthetically pleasing. You're not really there's nothing that you're really hanging your hat on because I think at this point, in terms of James Franklin talking about the identity being a grinded out kind of ball control team staying on the field on third down. I think we talked about how the sustainability of that is dubious at best, given the types of games that you can end up in and the types of opponents that you can play. But I think that something is still missing. I don't know if it's going to take someone breaking a big gain. I don't know if it's this Keandre Lambert Smith pass, maybe moving some sort of mental block. I don't know if it's Drew Aller's interception suddenly changing things for, for him and then changing things for the rest of the offense. But it's just not easy. It's not pain. It's, it's painful. It feels disconnected. I do think that the game plan today and the quote unquote identity that they put out there, it felt a little bit more cohesive than we saw against Ohio state. We didn't see any trick plays. Well, it should. Gathered. You're playing Indiana and not Ohio state, right? I mean, this is, this should yeah. be, this is the, 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 here's the problem, Daniel. This is the get right game. I know that there's a lot of, yes. that they just wanted to get through this week and get, but like it took way too long to get right. It took 58 minutes of football to get right for them offensively. And I'm still wondering, 
Is that just because you've got a five-star quarterback talent throwing to a really good receiver against a bad defense that's overwhelmed in a situation? Or, or did they really find something here? I mean, this is kind of the, yeah. the, the, the situation that we all find ourselves in. And I know some of our listeners, like, are you buying Penn State as a 7-1 and one team going into November ready to pursue a college football playoff berth? Or are you viewing Penn State as a 7-1 and one team whose trajectory is suddenly pointing down after the last 120 minutes of football and you're really concerned about what November will look like? I'm not answering that question right now. I don't think you can. And, and that's kind of the, the really strange situation that we all find ourselves in. A lot of college football programs will be envious of this spot, a top 10 ranking and one loss on your, on, your, on your radar right now. But I think a lot of fans are really anxious about it because they just don't know what to make of 2023 Nittany Lions. Yeah, that's 100% correct. I, I think that in terms of a, a get-right game, maybe this is what Penn State's right is this year based on what, what they have and, and how they're playing and, and where the chemistry is. I, I think that we're kind of at the point where I think we've all sort of stopped being like, all right, this is when we're going to see it. This is, you know, we're going to see the big plays. We're going to see this. We're going to see that. I, I think at this point, everything is, we'll believe it when we see it. And being seven and one at this point in the year, thinking that you are a college football playoff contender, those first rankings come out in a couple of days. I'm really curious to see where Penn State is because on paper, sure, seven and one, four and one in the Big Ten, you're only lost to Ohio State. You took took care of business through the first six games of the schedule. Okay, Indiana put put a little bit of a scare into you, but who in college football hasn't gotten a scare yet this year? You can kind of rationalize things down on paper, but as people who are watching this every single week, you kind of, these past two weeks, you really left with kind of like, uh, like, is this ceiling 10 and two again? Is the ceiling not 11 and one anymore? I think that, I think that Penn State being able to really get through the, this real clunker against a bad team, I don't think that this type of performance necessarily will happen again. Uh, you know, playing down that badly just because getting this out of your system and, and actually doing it and surviving. I think there is something to be said for that. But this last this last quarter of the year, you, you look at the teams on the schedule and last year in the in the last third, Penn State just blew the doors off everyone. But now you're like, ah, well, Maryland can can do some stuff on offense. Michigan, that's a whole other conversation. But then it's like Rutgers what Rutgers did to Indiana and what Rutgers has done this season, you're kind of like, Ooh, like that floor is a lot higher. Michigan state probably a, that that's also a separate conversation based on where they are. But th this final third, it just feels a little bit dicey. I think with Penn state coming off of these past two weeks, I think that by the end of the first quarter against Maryland, I think we'll know which way the arrow is pointing in terms of trajectory. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think this defense performance, if we base it off of Manny Diaz's time here at Penn State, feels like an anomaly. It feels yes. like it was a letdown week for them. I, I thought it was going to be the opposite. I thought it was going to be a week where they were tremendously edgy and they were going to come in and inflict some damage on Indiana. And, and it just it didn't happen that way. This was this, The defense just was not on its game in a way that we hadn't seen in a very long time, going back to last October against a much better opponent. Uh, but when I, I think – what you wonder is, okay, well, the defense gets right, but what what does the offense shake this off, or is just us the offense? And then that's kind of the 
the question here, and again, with the quarterback who's got 19 total touchdowns and one interception, um, and he's a first-year starter, but he is the number one overall quarterback prospect in the country. So we're not basing, we're not judging him as any other quarterback who's going to come into a college football program. And whether that's fair or not, that's where it is, and that's where the expectations were coming into the season. And when you think about the supporting cast around him and being able to elevate them, uh, can it happen? Can they elevate Alar? That's just, we, I think that's probably been the, the question for me, Daniel, that that we, I thought it was an outside shot that Drew Aller could could really elevate this offense mm-hmm. on his own as a first-year starter within the first eight games. If he did that, I mean, that, that's, that's a big step. But I thought, to me, the supporting cast was going to be able to elevate Drew uh, over the first eight games of his you know, starting career, whether that was the run game, a veteran offensive line group, a wide receiver position that they you know, stockpiled with prospects and, and transfer players. And instead, we are entering November, and it feels like Drew's got to be the one to really pull the cart forward. And so you're dealing with all the you know, psychological, emotional, physical uh, toll of being a first-year quarterback and a starter and in this limelight. And now you're also being asked to you know, be the one who carries the offense. It's just it's not the equation that I think would have been the best suited for Penn State if they really wanted to make a push in November. If they were even just a little more balanced here where Drew didn't feel like he had to be the guy. They were relying. They were waiting for Drew Allen to make a play at Ohio State, right? Can we both agree on that? They, yeah. they were waiting for Drew Allen yeah. to win them the game or to, to save them late. It wasn't you know, looking for other pieces to pick up Drew in an adverse situation in Columbus. And the same deal today. They were leaning on Drew Aller to make some plays, whether that was passing the ball to his his weapons like Nick Singleton or going deep in the late stages. Um, we'll see what that recipe means and what, what Penn State can maybe, uh, do moving forward against Maryland, Michigan, Rutgers, and Michigan State, as you said. But before we get into November, I want to also do a quick tip of the cap to the special teams unit, Daniel. Let's finish there. Um, we have a lot to talk about on our next episode of the podcast. There's no doubt we'll have Mark Brennan back on. We'll get into all the details we missed. Jalen Reed had a big interception. There's a bunch of individual splashes that I think we can do a better job of focusing in on on Monday. But special teams, man, I mean, it's been a unit that has really helped out Penn State uh, in, in ways that we didn't expect. It's been kind of one of those hang your hat on spots uh, for them during the last few weeks. It feels like they had a 50 yard field goal from Alex Falcons as the first half expired. I think if he misses that field goal, or if they aren't able to get in field goal range, and they almost weren't because of a penalty there on Drew Aller. Uh, but they got points, and I think if they had the Beaver Stadium crowd turns on them, I think they get a, a major chorus of boos sending them into the locker room. What does that mean for them? How are they feeling about themselves when they come out of halftime? Instead, there was applause at halftime. So Falcons, big kick there, I thought. Riley Thompson, the punter, uh, averaged 49 yards per punt. He had 250-plus, a couple inside the 20 Big return for Nick Singleton, which you mentioned, 50 yards. I think he feels like he should have scored a touchdown on that play. And then there was a punt return touchdown called back that Daquan Hardy had. It was the right call. Colin Dinkins blocked the guy in the in the back. But we continue to see the kind of threat that Daquan Hardy is. He brings a new dynamic to this special teams unit. Um, and then there was another takeaway on a punt for the second consecutive week. They you know, were able to say, here, special teams unit. Give the ball to Drew Alar at, at midfield. It didn't work out for them at Ohio State. It, it fizzled very fast, but this time they were able to cash in. So we got to give credit. We, I think we directed some you know, concerns and questions uh, towards Stacey Collins' unit during some of the earlier games this year. But it seems like they've found their footing. They found a new playmaker in the punt return game. And, I, again, I'm going to keep going back to that kick that Falcons made in the first half. That really was important, I think, for this team upstairs. You know, I, I just don't know how they feel if it's 14, 14 and a half time and they feel 
feel like their entire you know community is 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 it gets against them. It, whether they feel embarrassed or whether they feel like it's just think it takes away from their ability to do what needs to be done during halftime. So I just I know I've hammered it home, but that kick from Falcons to me, I think we can look back in the season and say if things go right, that was a really important moment for Penn State. I think it was big for Falcons too because he'd missed that fifty-one yarder a little mm-hmm. bit before and. He's talked about 55 being his his limit, and I think based on what we've seen from him in warmups, that's true. Um, and so you're going up against the end of his range. We don't have quite the same delineation as we've had in the past in terms of short shorter field goal kickers and longer field goal kickers. Um, it's it's Falcons' job right now. Uh, but I think to come back for him personally to rebound and make that kick, I think was really really big. I think it put Penn State in a really good spot to be leading going up in the ha- going into halftime, and I think that Falcons has just ended up being a, a very solid addition for them. I, I don't necessarily think he's a, the most kind of spectacular kicker. I, I think that he's brought a level of stability. It had it had been long enough between his misses, um, his misses and, and the block that I think that I felt a lot more comfortable with him now going into the final stretch of the season. Than maybe I did in that that first month, um, but he made a couple big kicks at Ohio State last week. Made a couple big kicks today, or made one big kick today. I, I think that he's adding some stability and uh, is becoming a, a little bit of a weapon there for them, especially for an offense that isn't really finishing and isn't really putting itself in position to score many touchdowns. So yeah, I think Falcons has been good. I think Riley Thompson. He mentioned this week uh, during his media availability that. He changed something a little bit with the way that he was striking the ball. And that's kind of led to these past couple of weeks where he's looked really, really solid. Um, you know, at the beginning of the year, it was a little touch and go at, at times, but he had one really nice kick today where he got it angled, you know, caught right on the sideline. Uh, it took a couple of Penn State guys to bring Jalen Lucas down, but Jalen Lucas is a really good returner. But I think just seeing Riley Thompson make that kind of kick shows that he's found his footing and that maybe when James Franklin elects to to punt on a kind of in between or, you know, maybe they could go for it here. You feel a little bit better about putting Riley Thompson out there because you think that you'll get a result kind of with what we had with Jordan Stout and Barney Amore the past two years. Alex Falcons, by the way, Columbia's all-time leading point scorer before he came over via transfer uh, during that time in Columbia, though, three different years as a starting place kicker, never did better than converting 68% of his field goals. Now through eight games with the Nittany Lions, he's 10 of 13 at 77% conversion rate. He is perfect from inside 40. Uh, two of those misses have come from beyond 50. One of them was blocked. So, yeah, I think you're getting probably more than you anticipated from Alex Falcons at this stage. We probably thought he was going to be the backup kicker I mean uh, in in all honesty when he joined this roster last winter and you can make the case that he has been pretty far and away the most impactful transfer addition to this roster and we're still waiting to see if Dante Sivas can pick it up Uh, but you really look around uh, Trey Potts has made some plays but game by game by game Alex Falcons is the transfer who's been making the noise for the Nittany Lions and Daniel, I think that's going to do it for us. I think we got to close up shop and, and turn the lights out here at Beaver Stadium uh, before we get out of here. But anything else to add? 33 to 24 win, 7 and 1 record. But as we have gone through, just a lot of fine print with Penn State football these days. <laughs> you talk about still having a lot to talk about on Monday's podcast. Before we, before we started recording, I 
started to take a gander through Mark Brennan's report card. And I think he's going to have a lot of things to say <laughs> on, on Monday's episode. So that should be a fun one to close the book on this game. Uh, look towards the, this last third of the schedule. schedule. It's going to be alma mater month for us, which I'm sure a lot of people are going to be excited about. Um, but I think that to see where Penn State is, they're seven and one. Kind of like I talked about last week, if you told us at the beginning of the year, they'd be seven and one going into this this section of the season, we'd say they're they're right where they want to be. Obviously, that's not the case, but I, I think there's a little bit of signs. And I think the big thing for this team in this final month is going to be, are they going to put it all together? Offense, defense, special teams within each of those units, like the running game, the passing game run defense, pass defense, I think that that is really what is going to determine what happens to Penn State. But, hey, we've done eight of these. Uh, it's gone by really fast, and I think it's going to be a furious finish here. Yeah, well, it was a thrilling finish uh, to the end of this matchup, to an overall frustrating performance for Penn State, but they get to the finish line with that victory. A bunch of people are going to lose money on the bet, but they, <laughs> they take care of business on the win column. So we'll come back to you on Monday, break things down again. Uh, what we saw from Indiana upon further review, uh, Daniel will put up his uh, game rewind story at lines 247com between now and then I'll have my game snaps story up early in the week as well. Uh, so we'll have a better scope along with Mark Brennan of what exactly took place during these 60 minutes. And we look forward to chatting with you then for now on behalf of Daniel, I'm Tyler Donahue stepping aside here in Beaver stadium. This has been the Lions 24 seven podcast. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.